Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. He is risen. My name's Jeff Gunn. I am a pastor. People want me to talk about like senior pastor, lead pastor. I'm just one of the two pastors that gets up here and teaches on on uh, various Sundays. This is Easter, and I am so excited to be the one asked to teach you this morning. I hope you guys are excited about Easter too. Here's what I want you to do. Let's get ready to work together on John chapter 20. If you brought a Bible today, and I hope you did, open it up to John chapter 20. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. If you brought a phone and it has a Bible app on it, you can open, you pull your phones out. We love having you pull your phones out here at Crosswalk. While you're opening up your Bible app, we'll see how good you are with your phone. You can simultaneously get on your Facebook uh, app and tell them that you're at Crosswalk Church worshiping Jesus. All right. Inside your program, you're also going to find something called the Crosswalk Notes. If you have none of the above of any of the things that I just mentioned, a phone, a Bible, pull this out. It's going to help you. And also, you were given a pen on the way in. That's how you can help me with today's message. Pull that pen out. And I'm going to need your help this morning because I have a big message. This is truly the message that changed the world. And we live in a world that that really doesn't always see or recognize how much what Jesus did when he rose from the grave, how much that has changed everything. You know, it's true to say that we don't always see and we don't always get everything that is laid out before us, even in everyday life. It's because we have filters going on inside of our mind, little blinders that block us from seeing everything that's really happening around us. And our our brain sort of tells us what to think and how to interpret events and things that we see on the basis of our experiences. A few weeks ago, we had a guest at the gun home. They stayed for about a week, and we were doing some catching up, and the... The, the wife of the, of the couple that had visited us was telling us a story about how she had uh, just had a, a blurry uh, vision. She couldn't quite see and she was cleaning her glasses and kept thinking there's a smudge on these glasses and cleaned them and cleaned them day after day, but the, the smudge wouldn't go away. She'd practically worn a divot in her glasses. So finally she decided, I'm going to go see the optometrist and see what's going on here. She got to the optometrist. The optometrist told her, look, I get that your experience is always that when your vision was blurred in the past, it was probably a smudge on your glasses, right? But I'm concerned that you might be filtering some things out here that we don't want to think about. We're going to run some tests. And sure enough, when they ran some tests... They discovered that she had a cataract and that she was going to need surgery. But she had filtered all that out because it wasn't in her experience. It wasn't something that she had ever uh, thought about, ever, ever recognized as could be part of her. It just wasn't seen that it could be something like that. And we we live that every day. Where as human beings, we're, we're tempted to filter things. A few weeks ago, I changed my air conditioning filters because it's that season of the year. You ever change your 
air conditioning filters after the winter and you've left them in there a little bit longer because you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know, we haven't really had to run the air conditioner very much over the winter. And you, you pull that thing down and a cloud of dust just falls on your face. And you're wiping it away. And if you're anything like me, I wear contact lenses. I'm having this massive contact attack. And then you pull that filter down and it's just all gunked up. See, the Bible tells us that there's another reason why our filters can be dangerous at times. And that's because they're gunked up with the, the, the dirt and the dust and the film of sin. And that's why it's so important for us to keep going over and over and over a message like the one that we hear today so that we can clean out the filters and replace them and, and, and be reminded again of what an amazing message this is that there was, there is a God who became man, humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death so that he could rescue us from our sins, so that he could take our sin on his shoulders and take his righteousness and his holiness and and make a, a most wonderful trade, give it all to us and place that on our shoulders in place of our sin. And his resurrection is the living proof that that trade has been made and that the trade is good for you. This morning we're going to take a look at John chapter 20 and we're going to see some of the very first people to have their filters cleaned, to have their blinders removed, to really begin to get, wow, what Jesus was teaching us is real. He really did rise from the grave. Let's take a look. I want to, I want to parse this up, divide it up a little bit. It's a long text, John 20 verses 1 to 18. We're going to start just by looking at what happens in verses 1 and 2. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So right away we see that there are three really important people here, Mary Magdalene. And they're, they're talking about filters and blinders. People have had filters and blinders about this woman for centuries. And all kinds of myths have been built up around her. But the reality from the Bible is that we only know a few things about Mary Magdalene. We know that she was a devoted follower of Jesus. We know that, that she, along with several other women and the, and the disciples, gathered around Jesus and followed him day and night everywhere that he went that they actually helped support uh, the ministry of Jesus with their own wealth because they were so grateful. And do you know why Mary Magdalene, why her heart would have been so filled with love for Jesus? The Bible tells us that this was a woman that had been possessed, literally possessed by seven demons. And that Jesus had come along and he had driven those demons out of her. You know, you don't catch demons like you catch a cold. Mary Magdalene was likely in some places, and again, there have been all kinds of theories about this, but this is the theories are not biblical, they're not historical. We don't know where she had been, but it likely was in some pretty unsavory circumstances and places, doing some not very nice things. 
Because typically those are the places that evil spirits like to hang out. And here's this woman. Sinner to the core. Like all of us. And Jesus comes along and he demonstrates his huge love for her by driving those demons out of her and freeing her. And she, she has, talk about Jesus changes everything. You and I, I don't know if we can imagine being possessed by seven demons and having those demons all of a sudden chased out of you by the power of Jesus Christ and to be able to experience the freedom and the joy that comes with, man, I can now live for God. You see how she responds. Mary Magdalene was one of the the few that had the courage to actually stand underneath the cross on the Friday that Jesus was crucified along with the mother of Jesus and and one disciple out of the remaining 11. She was one of the few that had the courage probably the night before after, uh, after the Sabbath had ended to go collect the supplies that would be needed to give Jesus a proper burial. And now... The Bible tells us while it was still dark, this is the first person out the door. She is booking it to the tomb. And I'm sure she has to be, she has to be problem solving and factoring all these things as she's, as she's walking, maybe even jogging to the tomb with her little backpack or satchel or whatever it was that she had filled with the things that she was going to need. She's got to be thinking, you know, They told us that the Romans have posted a guard to make sure that the the tomb would not be disturbed. In fact, someone told us that the Romans went so far as to actually literally seal the stone that had been rolled against the tomb. She had to be wondering, that big, heavy, round disc of a stone, how am I ever going to get that push back. And she probably knew that some of the other women would soon be following, maybe thinking to herself, you know, if we get enough of us women together, we can push that stone. At least we can try. And she arrives. And it's a, it's a place that, that looks a little bit like this. There's a picture that I'm going to put up and you'll see kind of what it might have looked like. Uh, just, a, just a hole in a, a rock wall. And down below, if you look carefully, you can see that, that little pony wall there where they would have slipped that disc of a, a huge stone into, into that little track there. And it could have been rolled back and forth to, to seal up the entrance to a tomb like this. A tomb very much like the one that Jesus would have been laid in. How is all this going to happen? She, she didn't know. But one thing she knew, Jesus had loved her had forgiven her, had driven demons out of her. And now that he was dead, she was going to demonstrate the love and the respect that she had for this man that had freed her from all of this. We also hear that when she got there, something shocking had happened. It looked like that. The entrance was already open. The stone had been rolled back. There were no Roman guards as she had been told. And she certainly didn't have to worry about any Roman seals. 
done deal. What's going on? And from this account, it almost seems like that was enough for her. And she makes a very quick U-turn and runs back into Jerusalem, back into town where she finds Peter. Remember Peter? The one who had denied Christ? The one who said, I, I don't know the man. And it says she found another disciple. The one Jesus loved, that would have been John, the author of this gospel. The one who actually ends up living the longest. And she tells these guys, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Where does Mary's mind with its filters fully operating, even this woman who loves Jesus, who has followed Jesus, who trusts Jesus, where does her mind go? Well, to the most natural explanation, right? They. Maybe she meant the Romans trying to really ensure that the disciples didn't come back and steal the body and say, hey, he rose from the grave. Maybe grave robbers, the very reason they rolled big stones, big heavy stones across a grave entrance like that was so that grave robbers wouldn't come in and, and, and steal. But here's where it gets very real. Here's where it gets very real because she's totally emotion-filled over this. What are we going to do? They've stolen the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. And you know, still today, go, go back into the history of the church, there have always been people who, when they talk about Jesus Christ, resort to the natural explanation. Take a look at the Apostle Paul when he's teaching the Corinthians 20, 30 years later, he knows that they have defaulted to the natural explanation. There's no such thing as a resurrection from the dead. What are you talking about, Paul? And Paul reminds them he's constantly preached that Christ rose from the dead. Paul himself saw Christ risen from the dead. And he asked them the very blunt question, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Here's what I want you to write down. This is something that at some point we all have to face. There are going to be people in our lives that are going, they're, they're going to push the natural explanation. The, the Mary's initial reaction. It's, it, it's all explainable. This isn't anything supernatural. It's, it's just something that happened. Maybe it's a myth. Maybe it's a nice religious myth. Maybe it's even a conspiracy theory, but there is a natural explanation. Probably someone just took his body. Well, let's see how... <laughs> I said a moment ago, this is where it gets very real. Let's see how real it gets. Recall that there were 11 disciples left. Probably all huddled up together, hiding out of fear. We know that that night, that's where they were. And yet only two 
have the energy, the desire to go check out what Mary has said and try to figure out what it meant. In fact, if you look at the gospel account of Luke, the others, it's clear that they're not going to lift their feet to do anything about it because they come at it and they say, oh, you women, that's a bunch of nonsense. You're crazy. They stole his body? Come on. But Peter and John, they're out the door. Faster than you can blink, they're out the door and they start for the tomb. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. John, maybe a little bit younger, a little bit more fleet of foot, he wins this race and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. That's Peter, isn't it? Get out of my way. I'm going into the tomb. John's, I don't know if I should go in there. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Hmm. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first... Notice John wants to make sure we all know who won the race. Also went inside. I want you to underline these words. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. What key words these are. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Maybe they didn't get it entirely. They weren't putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, but he saw and believed. And, and his faith starts to, to, to grab hold of the fact that Christ is risen from the grave. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. A lot of times people don't realize the history behind what's being written here. And it's important for us to understand it because it's when we understand the timeline that we can really get why this would be a miserable plot, a, a, a miserable conspiracy theory, a, a horrible effort at, at building myths. If that's what the original disciples were trying to do. I want you to think about this. When John wrote his gospel, he wrote this gospel in 85 or 90 AD, somewhere in that range. When did Jesus die? 30 32, 33 AD. We're talking 50 to 60 years later that John is writing this account of what had happened to him. Now, meanwhile, three other guys had written accounts too, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And those guys had started writing 50, 55, 60 AD. So, so now we're 20, 25, 30 years later that these guys are writing their account the gospel by this time is spreaded, spread to Asia Minor among the, the people there, the Greeks, the Romans. There are Christian churches popping up all over the place. Now, if you're going to try to support this by building on the myth and making sure that this, this myth of Jesus lives on in the Roman Empire of these guys' day, I think you would have done a lot of things differently than the way the story is told. First of all, these were Romans. 
And you're going to have kind of the chief character of Jesus rising from the grave, the very first person to see him alive, be a woman who had seven demons? How reliable is she? In fact, you're going to have the first person to see him alive be a woman at all in the Roman Empire? Do you realize that a, a woman in the Roman Empire was not even allowed to testify in court to verify that something had happened in, in a crime? Not even allowed to testify. You, you're going to let a, a guy named Peter who's all over the place. One moment, he's out of control, wielding his sword, chopping people's ears off. And the next morning, the the next moment, he's got a a yellow streak as big as his back running down to Romans. And that's going to be the guy that runs to the tomb. If this is a myth... This is not the real thing. Boy, I think the disciples and the apostles could have done a much better job. One of the reasons that I love this story is just that it is so real. Here you have people that are are weak, that that are filled with, with, with fear and anxiety and sin directly rejecting Jesus. Only, only John even has the courage to stand at the foot of the cross. And, and if you look at the other gospel writers, it gets no better. Mark, he, he writes in the third person about a guy that ran away naked. He was so afraid that he was going to get captured and arrested, right? And that was him. That's why he wrote about him anonymously in the third person but everybody knew that it was him. Matthew, the guy who had once been a Roman collaborator and tax collector, cashes it all in to follow Jesus. It makes no sense unless it's real. And when they get there, they see things that don't make sense either. Strips of linen just lying there. If this was, if this was grave robbers, who's going to take all the time that it, that it would have taken? And, and we read from another account that Joseph of Arimathea and, and uh, Nicodemus had wrapped Jesus carefully in these strips of linen, sort of like a mummy, with 75 pounds of spices wrapped in there, burial spices, on Friday when they had laid him in the tomb just to preserve his body for a while until it could be properly buried. Who's going who's gonna to unwrap all that and then fold the, the, the cloth carefully, right? Who's going to do that while Roman guards are outside and could call for help? It makes no sense. Wouldn't they have just taken the whole deal? And that's why I think when John got in there and he saw those strips and he saw that, that, that napkin laid carefully folded to the side, someone said two miracles. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and that a single man actually folded some clothes. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. 
Jesus, he saw it. Christ had risen from the grave. There there could be no other real logical explanation to this. Even though they still didn't fully understand, John starts to put it together. Hey, didn't he say, destroy this temple in three days, I'll I'll raise it again? Didn't he say, "I'll, I'll be gone for a little while and then I'll come again and because I live, you too will live? He's putting it together. And then they go back. See, Paul had the same experience, and he he shares it with the Corinthians. And he says, I want you to be sure of this. I've seen him alive. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Have no doubts. I get it. This is not the natural explanation. This is so far from the natural explanation. But that's why we say Jesus changes everything. That's why we say the resurrection is the biggest event that has ever happened in the history of the world. That's why we say there's nothing more momentous than this. Because there's a supernatural explanation to this event. He rose from the dead. Mary lingers. It says she stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And and I, I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But again, the filters are in place, right? She saw Jesus standing there. The blinders are are still on. She did not realize that it was Jesus. Why couldn't she see him? All kinds of people have attempted explanations. Later on, Jesus on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. In, in that story, it seems as if Jesus is almost supernaturally hindering them from, for a while from seeing him for who he really is. Was it that here too? Maybe. Or was it just that she was so sad and so... The, the word for her crying here is that she was racked with sobs. Deeply grieving over what had happened. And man, you know that when you are filled with emotion, those filters kick in, don't they? It doesn't always have to be grief. It could be loneliness. It could be anger. It could be any emotion. And those set up even harder filters in your mind to really be able to see clearly, boy, can I relate to this? (laughs) This, uh, Pastor Dan said it on, on Friday night. This last month, Oh my goodness. Here in the Crosswalk family, it has been a time of grieving for us. Starting with the loss of our beloved Mikey B, as we called him. A man that was everywhere in our church from up here on stage playing the guitar to back there where none of us could see him helping the youth. And man, do they miss him. Pass away. Suddenly, after having a stint placed in his heart, Peggy, after a long struggle with cancer, long battle with cancer, passed away. A couple that's been just a wonderful couple in our church. While Julie and I are 
are on vacation for a week, we uh, get back and we're, we're in the back parking lot, walking up the patio here, first few moments from, from vacation, and we hear the news that their, their daughter in Tennessee has died. I mean, just one after another. I'm not, I'm not done yet. One of our members' grandmas dies. She lived to a good old age. We're happy about that. A couple starts coming to church. They're here one, maybe two weeks. Their uncle is murdered. The story's all over the news. And they're just so happy to be here to hear about Jesus in the midst of such tragic events. A young girl, 11 years old. Her name means life. Zoe means life. Is struck by a car on baseline. Lives a few days and then passes away. That's just this week. And, and that's not to mention all the other things that are going on, the relationship troubles and the, the, the problems with, with illness. I got a call from uh, a man that I dearly love. His, his daughter was in a horrific accident in Tucson and has now had to go over the past couple weeks through multiple surgeries just in the, in the hope that they can put her, her battered body back together again. One of our members' mom comes down for vacation from the Midwest, contracts um, an infection, a bacterial infection, the, the so-called flesh-eating bacteria, and from vacation like that is admitted to the hospital and has to have a major portion of, of her arm gutted to get rid of that bacterial infection. And the doctors are saying, we don't know. From vacation to, we don't know if she's going to make it another day. Those things weigh heavy on hearts, don't they? And and as I look out to the people that are here, I'm sure you have stories like this. And, and, And when we look at Jesus and our hearts are filled with such emotion... Sometimes it's really hard to see him, isn't it? And maybe that's what Mary's going through here. Maybe that's it. Where he's there asking asking her, why are you crying? Now, kudos to her because she lingers, right? And she waits to see what's really going on. She's still on the natural explanation. They've taken my Lord away and I, I don't know where they've put him. And even though she sees Jesus standing there, she doesn't recognize that it's Jesus. Still another possible explanation is is the one that Paul gives, right? Now we know that Mary had the Spirit because she was a believer and she was a Christ follower. But even for those of us who are Christ followers, we have to deal with with what the Bible calls the old Adam, the sinful nature, constantly dragging us back to doubt instead of certainty. Mary had followed Jesus and and she had heard all those same teachings that John had heard. Destroy this temple. I'm going away. I'm coming back. Was her sinful nature 
overtaking the Holy Spirit in her at this point? We don't, we don't know what the real explanation is, but here's the point. Look at what Paul says. If we don't have the Spirit, there's no way for us to get the supernatural and true explanation of what's really happening on this first Easter. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. In other words, the Bible teaches us that ever since Adam and Eve, the most natural response and reaction of any human being toward Jesus Christ is going to be, I don't see it. The, the stuff that you're talking about, about sin and grace and the cross and the empty tomb. I don't see it and I don't see him. I don't know why you think he's so important. Why is he so different from anybody else? There are a lot of religious teachers. Why him? I don't see it. Paul's talking to some people who had become Christ followers in Corinth. And they were dealing with a bunch of baggage of their Greek religion. A Greek religion that, by the way, taught that there was no such thing as a bodily resurrection. The soul could rise and enjoy eternity, but certainly not the body. Now Paul is teaching the exact opposite. Both the soul and the body because of what Jesus has done. Because he's paid the price for your sins. Because he's granted you his righteousness. Because he said, I live and you too will live. Through faith in me. Remember John, the same author, some of the things that he's said about Jesus? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The very end of this gospel, John tells us, here's why I'm writing these things. After I saw all this stuff, I was right there at the tomb. I'm the one that saw those claws lying there. And I saw it and I believed. And then in John chapter 20, right after this account, toward the end of this chapter, he says, and here's why I'm writing all these things. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is Jesus, and he's no ordinary person. He is the Son of God. He is true God himself. And he came to rescue you from your sins, and he came to rise to prove that that rescue has been completed. This is who we're talking about. He's your King. He's your Lord. This is who I'm talking about, and I'm writing thing, these things so that you may believe, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And I get the natural reaction is, I don't see it. Verse 15. This man standing in front of Mary, we know him as Jesus, asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. By the way, it actually means much more than just teacher. That's a very personal form of the word rabbi. Rabboni means my teacher. 
Scholars who study the language tell us that this word Rabboni, instead of using the word rabbi, was almost never used of one person addressing another person. It was almost always exclusively used to address God in prayer. Rabboni, my teacher. John had gone into the tomb. He had seen those cloths lying there. He had seen that folded head cloth. And and he saw it and he believed. With Mary, it's a voice. Calling her personally, by name, in love, once again. Mary, he said to her. And she turned out and cried out in Aramaic, My teacher, Rabboni. And Jesus said, we can tell what she does next. My teacher, I'm so happy to see you. You're not getting away from me again. She tackles him. Doesn't say he knocked her, she knocked him over. But it probably came close. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Is it, is it that he was now, he had his glorified post-resurrection body. And, and, and that body why is he saying, don't hold on to me? We don't really know. Here's what we do notice, though. Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And then what's the next word? Go. Mary, I'm glad you lingered. Because in lingering, now you gave me the opportunity to show myself to you. But time is short. I'm going to be here for 40 days. And and I'm going to prove again and again and again that I have risen from the grave, that that I'm no longer dead. I'm alive. And so we got to get going. We have a mission. Go right now. And notice what he says to them. Go instead to my what? Brothers? And who does she go to? The the guy that denied him at crunch time? And all these other guys who, when the women come to tell the first time, go, Oh, come on, ladies. That's baloney. And what does Jesus call these guys? The all-knowing, all-seeing Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What does he say? Go to my brother's. What forgiveness. What amazing love. Go to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father. And, by the way, because of what's just happened here with this cross and empty tomb, he's also your father. To my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. She has a supernatural reaction. Now that she's seen and heard the voice of Jesus Christ, she sees Jesus clearly and she believes. And Paul says the same thing to the Corinthians. As it is written, what no eye has seen by nature... Naturally, what no ear has heard, again, naturally, what no human mind has conceived, naturally, 
The things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us supernaturally by his spirit. I want to close by just coming back to four words. He saw and believed. Today, once again, you've been given the opportunity to see, to hear the claims of Jesus Christ and his closest followers. And I I want everyone in this room to hear this loud and clear. Please do not walk out of this room saying to yourself, oh, that Jesus, he's such a good guy. What an admirable example to all of us. Because that's not what this story is about at all. This story is about God becoming man, dying for your sins to rescue you. This story is about people that need that rescue because of the sin that is in their hearts and in their minds and in their words and in their actions. Remember, John, what he said? These are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, and that by believing you may have not death, which is what you deserve for your sins, but that you may have life in his name. Are you like Mary? <laughs> you got a ton of baggage trailing behind you. You've had your demons in life. And maybe some of those demons want to move back in at times and you're still struggling. Jesus has freed you from those demons. And he wants you to stay free and to see him and to call him your teacher. Are you like Peter? Have, have you at some point in your past just flat out denied Jesus that he is God, that he is a savior, that he is your God, your savior, that he could ever call you brother or sister? Are you like Peter and you think to yourself, why would he, why would he take me back? And yet... Just as Jesus called Peter, my brother. And later on says, Peter, you know that I love you. Are you like John? Competitive, right? I got there first. Driven. John is the one who lives the longest. And the one who says, Jesus loved me the most. I'm his favorite. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. And you just have that little bit of arrogance about you. And sometimes you wonder, you think, hmm, I wonder if Jesus really loves me as much as I say he loves me or think that he loves me. 
Maybe you're like John in this too. You haven't yet put all the pieces together, right? You're, you see and you believe, but it's still coming together. You're still studying the scripture. You're still seeing it. Whoever you most relate to in this story, what today is about is Jesus and his followers looking at you and saying simply, see it and believe it. And my prayer for you is if you're struggling with either seeing it or believing it, remember it's not natural. It's supernatural. And here's my most practical thing I can tell you as you walk out of here today. Whether you're not a believer, thinking about a believer, skeptical about belief, you are a believer, you've been a long-term believer, you believe no one could ever shake you from your foundation of faith in Jesus Christ as God and Savior. We all need the same thing. Challenge God to send you his Holy Spirit, wherever you are in that spectrum, and to keep sending you his Holy Spirit. And then I want you to do one last thing for me. Be like Mary. Linger. Just linger. Linger here in church. Linger in the Bible. Linger in Jesus' promises and in his claims. And ask God's Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, what an amazing gift this is. That you not only sent your son to be our savior, but also that you you raised him from the tomb. You brought him back to life again as a declaration and a guarantee that all that he had done to forgive us of our sins and to give us life, the result is guaranteed. We are forgiven and we do have life. Because he lives, we too shall live. Lord, thank you for that amazing, that amazing truth. Open our eyes to it and help us to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. Open my eyes.